Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Hi, I'm Justin King, and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five-star recruit, all Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power Five recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Welcome to the Blue Chip Academy podcast, the Blueprint to Success interview series, providing unique blueprints, tactical knowledge, best practices to navigate the critical points in the elite sports ecosystem so athletes and parents can prepare a plan to a career path that any athlete can bank on. Our next guest, another DMV area legend, 12th overall pick in the NFL. Our guest teaches creative arts, literacy, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta interrupt you. Go, go for it. What you got? I was 11. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, Maven. The 11th overall. <laughs> hey, I already messed up the guess. It's Aaron Maven, but the 11th overall pick of uh, the NFL draft. That's my bet. That one pick. That's we can get to them numbers later, but that 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 matters. Uh, but teachers, creative arts and literacy of Baltimore public schools, created art activism curriculum being taught in several Baltimore schools. Also co-founded the Operation Heat campaign, raising over ninety thousand dollars for schools struggling with heat and issues in the wintertime. Aaron is 40, Fox 45 Martin Luther King Champion Courage Award recipient. Baltimore Arts uh, Multi-Corporation Executive Board Member and member of the newly appointed Mayor's Transition Team serving on the Arts and Culture Committee. I mean, and artists and artists, uh, writer, everything. We got getting on code. You guys get on that. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But let's welcome, man, my guy, Aaron Maven. What's up, bro? <laughs> bro, it's an honor, man. Thank you for having me. Man, Long thank you. Coming. I know, man. Thank you for jumping on it. My bad. Like you said, not 12, 11th, bro. 11th, 11th overall pick. You know <laughs> no, what I mean? man, man. You know, you yeah. know, you know, I say, I say that, I say that just to make sure that we up on our P's and Q's from a content perspective. But <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. that's the. That's that's maybe the thing I care least about in my story. No, like I, I know I mean? it is. I, I know it is. That's what's so funny about it. That's what's so funny about it. Just start off with it, but that's the that's the typo on my bet. So anyway, we jumping into it, man. My guy out here is feeding the soil, just back in there. Uh man, leader of the community, community leader, activist back in Baltimore. But seeing through the, the recruiting process, going to the league, being an artist, writer, and just seeing just the different facets of life, right? That the dynamics that come from sports and different things of that nature. What's one piece of advice that you would give to a family or uh, a kid getting into this elite sports ecosystem that they can, uh, that they can bank on and kind of ride out throughout this process. The thing that I say to every single one of my mentees, every single one of my students, every single one of the kids that reach out to me that has that kind of potential is to have a plan. And not just any plan, but the plan, you know, um, obviously for most kids, they think about things from the vantage point and perspective of making it to the NFL, the NBA, whatever the major platform is for the sport that they play. But you don't think about life in its totality. You don't think about the fact that God willing, like, let's say you have a 10, 15 year career. 
at the end of that career, you'll still be in your late twenties, early thirties. You know what I mean? So what does, what does the plan for life entail and how do sports fit into that? Let's work backwards from the end because we want to make sure that we have quality of life. You know what I mean? Like we grew up, Obviously, as, you know, brothers that, you know, uh, uh, grew up in, you know, uh, uh, urban environments, you know, uh, people of color, you know what I mean? Like dealing with certain issues, like most of our families never got a chance to taste or understand generational wealth. Mm -hmm. So within our plans, we actually have to be ambitious enough to grapple with what that looks like and say, how do we tailor this in a way that we set up future generations for um, success, but also that we set ourselves up in a way that we actually experience life in the way that it's supposed to be experienced? You know what Absolutely. I mean? And and, and ah, get that's... every bit out of it that, that we need to get. So from the standpoint of what school you go to, let's make sure that that life plan can be encompassed through that school. Let's make sure that education wise, we're taking that just as seriously as our uh, as our athletic pursuits and not just taking it seriously in the classroom, but figuring out what this education that we're getting for free actually means for us in the long term. How are we going to take these resources back to our community and improve it for the better? You know what I mean? And then figure out where football fits into that. A hundred percent. That's why we talk about using sports as a catalyst. And when you say that, sometimes we think that I think that people misinterpret where that generational wealth or where you kind of set it up because it becomes right. The professional sports is that goal. But like what you're saying is like using that college decision, that first one where you're using it as a as a catalyst, a springboard like the NFL or professional sports. It's not going to last. I mean, it lasts for some people. Some people make it. Some people don't. We know the percentages. I'm not to crush anybody's dreams, but the the point is that there's opportunity in this in this whole elite ecosystem and you're getting yeah. set up for the critical and the point is even perspective. if you do make it to that goal yeah and let's well, say you do, do have a 10-year career you're still in your 20s early 30s still there and you have so to what have is enough. life after this game yes we don't 100%. ask ourselves that question early enough because too many you already know both of us know too many brothers that had to grapple with that question before in real life before they actually grappled with it individually. That's a hundred percent because when you're going through it, I mean, that's why I always say you have to have that, that dream beyond football because whether understanding, oh, I want to be a, a general manager, I want to be a president of this and just going through the process, it'll sharpen you up on how you're going. You're going to look at the different opportunities because now when we talk about NIL coming down full circle, starting to come with high school, like you're dealing with teenagers making business decisions. Right. Whether it's dealing with agents, how many companies, collectors. how many of those teenagers have been trained to make business decisions? Man, we know. So my we know thing is, like, and to this make is how they decisions. set them up for failure, right? They tell them, all right, you can get money knowing that if we don't teach you how to manage this money, it's going to go. Hey, you know what I'm saying? New, We've it's, seen, it's a new, it's a new we, world in the NIL, we man. We weren't around in this NIL era, but right. we seen dudes F a pale grant up. <laughs> We seen dudes f a bowl checkup before they even hey, get I'm it. I'm the first like, one to yo, say, like, "Hey, I'm not not so see some guys. I'm the guy." Like I'm, exactly, I'm the guy. I'm I wasn't gonna put your fingers like, out there, like, hey, <laughs> but but no, nah, like let's be real. Like we never that like, one of my favorite cold references. Like yo, we never know money. Yeah, we grow yeah, up 
getting taught how to blow money, but we never know how to keep it. We never learn how to invest it. And we come from backgrounds where we don't get the type of quality education that most of our peers at the college level got coming into the day. So we already opposite operating at a deficit from an academic perspective, but even from a social standpoint, we never knew privilege and you get put into this environment where 90% of the people come from privileged backgrounds and you're expected to sink or swim with them regardless of, of where your preparation goes. So my whole thing is just like, and the NCAA is never going to do that. They want, they want as many players as possible to F up this, this Pell Grant money, this NIL money, this bowl check money, because that reinforces their ideology of we should never have been paying these players in the first place. All they're going to do is ruin themselves with this money. When if you actually provided a certain amount of education and you fortified them with the understanding of what this money could be for them and their families, all of a sudden you go from having situations where half of the players that get scholarships that never make it to the league end up never being able to do anything with their lives because they never prepared themselves from anything else. Now they actually are able to create a nest egg for themselves and their family where they're starting with a head start in life. By the time you leave college, of course you're not leaving with debt because you were on scholarship, but now you're leaving with some money with a business sense about how to be an entrepreneur, about like, and hopefully you're feeding that all those different things, man. Say it again. Absolutely. Said money and relationships, like because when you're connected to these different things in the business that you're operating in within these college ecosystems, those that's the alumni. Like those are your connections that you make. Whether you're trying to, whether be an artist, musician, or work in corporate America, or go back to in higher education, whatever the case may be, there's just those different tentacles that come off of your school. Like you said, that incubation period. Like, is that school going to be there to support you throughout this athletic journey? So when we jump back into it. How are you? How are you going through the process? Were you thinking about all these different things that you're talking about? Because as somebody that, I mean, we just tell a little little fun fact about maybe he had his first commissioned piece of art um, at 11 years old, and that's where I messed up and said that you had your first commissioned piece at 11 years old, not mm. that 11, yeah, yeah, 11, 12, all that. All good. Anyway, all good. first first uh, commission yeah. commission art piece at 11 years old. So you already had, I mean, a level of. Understanding, I mean, if you commission a piece at 11 years old, you're typically a businessman. By the city, like not even like an individual. (laughs) It was like I had to paint a 40 by by 50 foot mural on the back of a Habitat for Humanities building. So with art being just a, well, art being so like prominent in your life, how did that go into your recruiting process when you were looking for schools? Um, It actually factored in a lot, man. And that's where I got to give a shout out, not just to you and 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 the other guys that were already there when I was getting recruited. But but Matthew Rice Blue, our brother, you know, what I mean, like um, when I went to Penn State, I think. To their to his credit, LJ really had a beat on me, like he understood the type of young man that he was recruiting and he understood that, like, not only was I from Baltimore, but like. I really was serious about my art. Like that was really what I saw at a young age. Like this is one of the ways I'm going to leave my mark on the world. And I, and I wasn't going to go to a school that didn't have an environment that was going to nurture that. So when I came up to Penn state on my recruiting visit, um, he had made sure that uh, he put me with blue 
And uh, to everybody that's watching, uh, uh, Blue is Matthew Rice. He was a, a, a defensive end uh, at Penn State, used to wear number 55. He was, uh, he was a guy that was from my hometown, Baltimore City, Maryland. And shout out like, to Blue. Shout out to the Yeah, Blue. like he really like, shout out to Blue. Like he, he took me under his wing really early during my time at Penn State. And he, and he told me a lot of the things that he did. He was one of the first football players before me that was black from the inner city and like came to Penn state and like pursued an arts degree and was really serious about it. And like the football team nurtured him and made sure that he had an opportunity to chase that. So of course, when they're recruiting a young Aaron Maben, like when I come to the school, like they're saying like, all right, like get with this guy, Matthew Rice, he's going to tell you about how we've, helped to bring his career along, how we've, like, you know, made sure that he was in a good position, this, that, and the third. And he did that. Like, he really told me everything. I literally majored in integrative arts as one of my double major uh, 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 subjects because he told me that that's what he did. And when he explained to me the process of it, I was like, yo, I want to do the exact same thing, but I want to do it this way. Like, it was different than what he was trying to do, but the fact that that was a possibility and that the team went out of their way to make sure that I knew that that could be what I did there was really important for me. So, like, you know, having him as a mentor early on was, like, huge. Man, and 100%. Shout out to Blues. I remember the first time going over him, Mike Rob's apartment. And they, he had his, uh, his easel in his, in his studio in the, yeah. and then the apartments. So I was like... I was like a real artist because when people, when I got, they're like, oh, Blue does art. And I was like, okay. And then I went over, I was like... Oh, like he does art. Yeah, like, he's like, like serious. Yeah, you know I mean, like, so that's, and I was used to that. I was used to being an athlete that like was a serious artist, and people didn't take you seriously as soon as they heard that you were an athlete. But then uh, when they would come into your space and they would see what your abilities were, they were blown away because in their mind, a person that's creative can't possibly also be this violent. That's true. Like. I, I, you know what I'm that's saying? A, like, like that's a mis- that's a misconception. Or just even if someone's has a passion for something else. I remember telling a story right. about Myron Roll being at camp. He wanted to be, you know, a neurosurgeon. Another, or whatever. Yeah, yep. yeah. You know, but I was thinking even as from my standpoint, like, damn, how you do? How you going to do both? You know what I mean? But for from but your that's standpoint, become my like, guy. But he's become my guy too. And like in <laughs> our discussions, that's the one thing that really like I got his book right behind me too. But like, awesome. It's funny. We both share the same mindset when it comes to football was just the tip of the iceberg like that's what everybody that's what was comfortable for people to accept coming from us right two young black men same age basically like similar environments backgrounds that we come from you're comfortable accepting us as the football player Uh you know what i mean because we big strong black like athletic all of these things but like when we come to you from the academia side, from the creative side, from the mess talented whole, temp side, <laughs> you don't want to accept that coming from somebody that looks like us and talks like us and dresses like right. us. You feel what I'm saying? So like, I do. that was something that me and him was like aligned with early, uh, early. That's, I mean, now that for sure, I could definitely see that, man, because it, it's hard. I mean, we can talk about it in football or just whatever the case may be. We get into that elite sports ecosystem. They want to see like what you're going to bring to the program, right? Like how focused yeah. are you here? Like whether it's in college, whether it's in the NFL, 
sometimes it's it, it is it's uh it's discouraged to have another passion while you're going through the process. Oh, absolutely. So how are you? Not even sometimes. Schools, I think most how, of the time. Real quick, how are other schools talking? How are other school schools dealing with your art passion? Were like any of them outwardly like ah. Eh, not the same way Penn like, State was. And that truthfully okay. was between that and the fact that LJ reminded me so much of my pops. Like, <laughs> like I think Phil hit on it earlier when y'all had y'all uh, interview. Like, LJ was the secret sauce when it came to my class. Like, he just, man, that dude just had, he he had everything he needed, like, from the standpoint of, yo, I'm from here, like, I, I know y'all, I understand how y'all are raising this young man. Like, I'm going to make sure he good. Like, I'm going to treat him like my own child. Like, he he said and did all the right things. And when I saw that the acad- like on the academic side, that they were really willing to um, nurture that side of me outside of the game, they were one of the only schools that cared about that. Like, in my recruiting process with other schools, they would tell me how touted they would be like, yeah, our art department is ranked here. And they're like, but none of them were really getting me. And most of them didn't have players that were majoring in art that they could put me with. And you know what I'm saying? So to their credit, it's not like they didn't care, but it was like, we've never seen you before. We've never seen somebody that does these things, has this skill set, and has this mindset early on about trying to, steer his career in a certain way so um the fact that penn state presented an avenue for that for me and along with a bunch of other things like it just made it the ideal location for me to um to go to for college no that makes perfect sense and especially when you count that you make some great points in that and just i, I remember you when you came up for your first visit and i remember like your focus as a recruit like i like I, I remember that so i was wondering how you used how you approached it because i always tell guys now like you have to have your criteria based on what you want to do beyond this whole thing and use this spot and i remember you coming in and it was like you were you were focused you're like all right what's this what's that all right i'm trying to do this i want to win here i want to do this you had like your whole plan you had told i don't know if it was me and Derek or something in our room and you came up he's like i want to do this this, this. And we were looking at him like Damn, he got this thing planned out. <laughs> Yo, but it's so funny for me to hear those stories now, right? Because I think of, and of course, I would never cons- uh, compare myself to uh, one of the GOATs athletically. But, like, when I hear stories about, like, what Kobe was like when he first, like, came into the league, right? Where he was just, like, pulling up on all of the OGs, just like, like, yo, just trying to get the game from him because he already had this plan of, like, what he wanted to do with his life. Um For sure. Athletically, I never reached those heights, but in terms of mentality, I think that I had a very similar mentality of like Kobe knew that the art was in him. Kobe knew Mm -hmm. that like doing films and doing like, you know, books and all of those things was in him. But he understood that you got to keep the main thing, the main thing. And you got to be not just proficient, but like you got to be a real dog at this at this game Maybe. that that you're playing in order to get to a point where people respect what? the other thing. Oh, you know what I'm saying? That's, that 100% that is that's a real valid point like got to be a dog here for them to even respect the next part. So we transition into Penn State. Like how was that for you? I mean, you talk about coming from inner city, I mean Baltimore and mm-hmm. you know, just, just it was the whole um culture shift. Yeah, man, it was crazy because 
I feel like I was more prepared for it than most other people in my position, right? Because mm-hmm. when I went, like, I, of course, I grew up in West Baltimore, but I went to high school in Howard County, which is uh, a very, like, you know, predominantly white, privileged, like, you know, high income area in in in, in Maryland that um, the reason why I went there for high school instead of like my district high school, which would have been Edmondson High, was that um, they had one of like the top five public school systems in the country at that time. So the whole idea was like, you know, I had struggled in school up until high school. And the idea was like, I wasn't, I was athletically gifted and like people were recruiting me at a very young age, but I literally did not have the grades to make, you know, me going to one of the private schools here in Baltimore possible because they weren't giving out athletic scholarships at the time. And if they were going to give you a scholarship as a preferred um, academic student, because you were an athlete, like you still had to make the mark and I was nowhere close. So it became apparent to my father that like, I don't want him to go to his district school because they're struggling to even get guys eligible. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I don't want him to get to the point where he's talented athletically and he has scholarship opportunities, but he can't accept it. So we started looking around for our options and I hadn't done what I needed to do from an academic standpoint, you know, to make the mark. And I actually, to be honest with you, thought that, I thought that there was something wrong with me academically at the time because I was trying, but like, yo, like it was just so hard and I couldn't understand why it was just so hard for me to learn certain things as opposed to like, not just my peers, but just like where I was supposed to be based on everybody else's assumptions. And then we find, you know, the school that I ended up with uh, going to was a public school in Howard County that, um, you know, was willing to work with me and like, like knew that, like, you know, knew the background, knew the history and a a football coach was really like, you know, uh, big on, you know, giving me opportunity. Like he had seen me play before. So he was gung ho about it. So I went to Hebron and, you know, during my time there, I became the honor roll caliber student that I would be for the rest of my like uh, school career. But it wasn't because school became more important to me. I actually was in a place that had resources. Like for the first time in my life, I I wasn't in a classroom of like 35 kids and like 10 year old textbooks. And like, you know what I mean? Like, Like all of these different deficiencies from an academic perspective, whatever you could think of us needing from computers to new books to teacher's aides and different, like we had those things. So I realized that, yo, there was never nothing wrong with me as a kid. I just literally was in an environment that didn't have any of these things. And then it messed my head up because I'm like, yo, like how many kids did I go to school with that were my homies that like we all thought something was wrong with us. But like, yo, like the school just isn't giving us what we need in order to get a proper education. But we're measured by the same standard as me and the kids that I'm going to school with now. So by the time I got to Penn State, I already had gotten that separation of like, it wasn't my first time going into a classroom and being the only black kid. It wasn't my first time. Like, it was my first time being in like a stadium class of like a thousand people. And I'm like the only, like one of the only couple black faces in the room. But like you, 
I got comfortable during high school being the uncomfortable other in the room. Gotcha. So by the time I got to college, I was just on that type of time of like, yo, like, it's time to get to work. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I had a mindset and a mentality like, you know, you remember how I was like I was 100%. a workaholic. I was a I wanted to find whoever the hardest worker was on the team. And that was Puzz at the time. So I got right up under him. I'm competing against him every single time. He about to go to the league. So I'm going to beat him in every sprint. And Shout and dare somebody Puzz. to say I'm not about to be the next great. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was my yeah. mentality of, like, trying to, like, put myself in a position to compete with people that were going where I wanted to go. Shout out to Paul Puzz Lesnar. He's definitely a oh, yeah, good yeah. one of the hardest. Tim, Tim Shaw. Yo, like, time. yo, yeah. Tim Shaw's life is so inspiring to me right now. Like, just this idea of, like, like I really was gifted to be able to go to school and – and learn up under people that has such high character and integrity. And that like, that's you too. Like all the, like had it not been for you, Derek Jordan, Dion, like I wouldn't have been at Penn state. I didn't believe that they were willing to put young black kids from environments. Like we came from at the forefront until I seen y'all do it. When I seen that, I was like, Oh snap, I can go here. Hey, that's some real right. recruiting tips, my own. That's some real recruiting stuff for everybody out there that bringing the five stars and understanding how it impacts the next classes and different things of that nature. That's the proofs in the pudding from just being able to believe that they would do it based on that. I mean, we yeah seen it in different or even programs. not even just the five star stuff. It not was even like five, I don't not think even the five Jordan, stars were just like just I don't like think putting Jordan was like that highly recruited, nah. but it was the idea that they recognized the talent and they recognized Period. that the game was evolving. Exactly. They That's what it was. That the game to was be evolving. On the front end yep. of that evolution in the Big Ten. You feel exactly. what I'm saying? Because like 100%. the Big Ten was like a different type of game before that, and that was what made me apprehensive because I was like, my game don't fit in the Big Ten like it fit in the ACC and the 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 the, the SEC, the Sun Belt. Like you know what I mean? Like, so like did, how much did you weigh when you got to Penn State? Give the listeners some info. Like 210, maybe. Because <laughs> I was just yeah. coming off a of wrestling season. So like, like all the work, like my metabolism was crazy. So like even in the NFL, the heaviest that I ever was was 258, 253. Okay. Like, 4, yeah, like, like I that was you. the heaviest that I ever was. You feel what I'm saying? Like, and that was me eating five, six times a day. Like, like waking up in the middle of the night to have a shake, like doing all of this stuff that like my body was not built to be that size. Right. right. But LJ really like, and he knew that too, but he saw something in me and he said, look, if you can do what I think that you can do, you're going to play and you're going to like, you know what I'm saying? It was like, he saw what I was whispering LJ to whisper. Yeah, and he was just like, yo, like, you don't have to be the prototype. You're and the and the crazy thing about it is like and like we had our, our good times and our bad times, but the one thing I will give LJ is like he had a foresight about the game that many people didn't have. He knew that the game was evolving into what it is now. I was honestly about five years too soon for what the NFL is now. Because when I came in, the team that drafted me didn't even realize what the what the league was becoming. 
It refused right. to put me on the field because I wasn't the prototype of that time. But yeah. look at everybody that plays my position now. Exactly. Like who who would you compare yourself like your game to? Like Avon? Say it again. Like who would you who would be most comparable to your game now? Who you would think? All of the outside rush end linebacker <laughs> types, the Von Millers, the uh the uh the what's the name? The um literally uh the Ravens got one now. Adafi Owe, he's one. Adafi, Michael Parsons, yeah. like I recruited, all I recruited of these those guys. That's back, what, my, that's what back, I was trying to get to. In, that's where I get my frames from. Like I, you played in, they were too small. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like nobody yeah. would have believed that somebody that size could play up against the run and could do all, like, but nah, like it took, and it wasn't just myself. It was so many other guys that like, like were that undersized, but relentless type of player that, kind of set the precedent for the type of guy in that position that you're seeing now, but oh, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't comfortable in the league at that point. So you didn't see most teams going with it. Like the first team that I ever played for in the league that actually got it was Rex. He was like, yo, just do your thing. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, versatility. Rex had that right. vision early. He was like, yo, go get the quarterback. You know what I mean? I'm going to handle all the rest of it. Like, go get the quarterback and force turnovers. That's all he cared about because he recognized that the skill set, especially when you plug it up with a team with, you know, Darrell Revis and Antonio Cromartie on corner, like, that's a cheat code. Right, right. You just go you know get I mean? the like, <laughs> Yeah, but most just teams that had, hadn't caught up to that evolution of the game yet. You know what I'm saying? So no, you got to be able to, as a player, to know your capabilities and know what 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 you're best suited for. Because the last time that you get a chance to choose is when you choose your college. You don't get a chance to choose who draft you. You don't get a chance to choose who you traded to. And if you do act as a free agent, usually you're going with the money. You're not going with, <laughs> with the staff and the scheme is that's best for you. Those guys are rare. Usually you're going right. to whoever's going to give you the most bread. That's real. Did you feel prepared when you got to Penn State? Like, I mean, and being undersized and those different things? Uh, Yes and no. But okay. the things that I weren't, I wasn't prepared for, like, I got it quickly. I think I was, I was put in a very unique position because I was blessed that I got there before Levi Brown left. So I got a whole year of practicing against him and going at his head, like, mm-hmm. The proudest part of my freshman year, because I was pissed off after my freshman year that I didn't play because they told me that I was going to I was supposed to play as a true freshman. And part of the reason I went there was y'all. It was like, yo, they played y'all early and they played y'all. like I'm like, y'all going to redshirt me like out of all the people you going to redshirt me like you. You can't use me on the field right now. And nowhere like so I was really I was young. I was I was brash and all of that. But. The one thing that I appreciated was I got a chance to practice against a bona fide All-American every single day. Like, and I used to try to go at his head because my whole thing was I'm going to show in practice every single day why y'all are fools not for playing me because I'm going to do my best to embarrass an All-American. And you was there. You said, like, yo, I used to get his ass. Like, yo, like it was like <laughs> there was one time where – I had my welcome to like college moment when 
he bent me over backwards like a like a like a like like a a a, 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 a piece of just like a piece of paper. Like, but it was the first time I ever really pissed him off, and it happened because I embarrassed him like three plays straight. And then Joe like got out of his cart. You remember when he was all gimpy and, yeah. and said something to Levi, and like that next play, he just he 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 let me know why he was about to be a first round draft pick, but. That prepared me for, like, in my mind at that point, like, yo, there's nobody that I'm going to go against next year that's going to be able to block me because that's he can't yeah, he yeah. can't hold me for a whole game. And if he's going to be a first-round draft pick, like, I'm about to eat these dudes up. Like, so. That's, that's real. That's the iron that iron within play, the programs. Yeah. No, for sure. That's those iron sharpened iron within the programs. You want to oh, create yeah. that for those type of opportunities for the developmental players to like feel as confident. So when they step on the field, it's instant impact, right? Like you did. Yeah. When you step on the field, it was like sacks, sacks, sacks. Like, yeah. you know, the play count was yeah. low, but it was like sacks. Pressure, sacks. Freshman, yeah, it was on. Like, like <laughs> I, no, I, I, I ain't coming to play with cats. No, because like even then we talk about pass rushers being even a like a, a high price commodity or a high visual player on the field. Right in football, we talk about the the positions that moves that left tackle, pass rusher, corner, quarterback, receivers, whatever. So then now in the game of NIL and different things of that nature, what would have been your NIL strategy in college? Oh, snap. (laughs) So it really would depend. And that's the thing. There's different. If I'm going back to me at that age, my family needed my family needed certain things. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So, like, my whole thing was, like, yo, we betting the bank on me, like, three years, and I'm going to get us somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, but at the end of the day, if it's me now go, talking to my younger self, I'm like, yo, go, go to the place that's going to allow you to be the best version of yourself in life. Because there was time, and look, we can talk about it now. I got offered hella bags that I didn't take. Right. I was one of the very few players that, like, was in our era that, like, yo, I really didn't, I really didn't, I didn't do that. That just wasn't my, I was afraid. You know what I mean? My whole thing was, like, yo, like, if I F this up, you know, while I'm a recruit or while I'm in college, like, we don't ever get to the bag. You know what I mean? Like, so I was on ramen. You know what I mean? And like all of it, like, yo, like I was doing, I was selling my art. You know what I mean? To be able to go out on a date with my girlfriend in college. Like I was doing, I was doing everything, man. Like I was just trying to, I was just trying to stay, 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 keep my weight up. You know what I mean? Like, 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 be able to, yo, you remember like, yo, JT used to be on my tail, man, because it was like, yo, I just, I couldn't gain no weight in the beginning, and then I finally started, and then I decided to pledge. You know what I mean? And then, like, I lost mad weight. Let's jump into that a little bit, man, because you talk one thing, it's like coming in, but not many people can, uh, you talk about having an art thing going on, but yeah, you pledged while it's spring ball one time. Let's talk talk about a little bit of that. You talk about... I, and I was the first one since Spice. Like, I was like, after I did it, after I did it, a bunch of other dudes like recognized that, like, all right, we actually could do. And I almost lost, like, yo, Joe was so mad at me. Like, 
I don't think y'all understand. Like, yo, Joe hired a private. Joe and Coach Jay hired a private investigator to find out what was going on with me. Because, like, some people thought I was on drugs. Some people you, thought yeah, I was you like, lost all that, you lost all that weight. I lost huh? so much weight, and I was doing so well. Like, I was finally starting to like, like, like fill out a little bit, and they was finally starting to think like, yo, he's. He's maturing and he's starting. He's going. This is going to be a breakout year for him. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, I just lose twenty pounds. Yeah. They like, yo, are you sick? Are you like, are you on drugs? Are you on this? Are you are you? What are you doing? And right, I right. couldn't say anything. And eventually, they hired a private investigator and found out that I was pledging. When I tell you, like, yo, all hell broke loose. My family came up like, oh, like, oh, it was wild. I had a whole intervention. Like, because <laughs> <laughs> you was pledging capital. Oh, out, man. out there getting to yeah, it. Yeah, man. It was wild. Just but, going through the process. But again, that, that ties back to my original point of my college experience was going to be my college experience. I was not going to not pledge because I'm an athlete. I was not going to not be the head of several campus organizations because I'm an athlete. I wasn't going to not major in the things that I majored in because I'm an athlete. I don't care if it makes it more difficult. Like yeah. I look back at my time in college and I, I, I am appreciative of every moment of it because I didn't leave any um, stones unturned. I didn't like, I don't have any regrets. I don't say I wish I would have done this. If I wished I would have done it, I did it. Yeah. And if it was wrong, I dealt with the consequences. And if it was right, I still dealt with the consequences because there were things that I did that weren't wrong, but it was wrong for a football player to do these things. Like, but I didn't look at myself as that. I said, that's the the box that you choose to to see me in. But I was one of those guys that never looked at this scholarship that you're giving me. This isn't the greatest thing that you've ever done. Like, no, like I'm giving people who are buying my jersey. I'm paying this shit back like several times over. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I am going to have the experience at this school that is going to prepare me for life. That was really my goal. Like, my goal was like, yo, I don't know at what point the game is going to be done with me. It was my job to extend that that window. But whatever the game is done with me, I want to be able to say that I got everything out of that ride that I needed to get. So I got all of the networking, you know what I mean? Relationships. I got all of the experiences. I got all of the wisdom. I got all of the lessons. I don't want to be able to look it back and say, man, I wish I had done it this way. If that's the case, then I'm just going to do it that way the first time. You know, that's important, like, man. That's that's some real stuff. You're talking about that going through, and it's, it's, I mean, it's encouraging to hear that, and uh, for the listeners to hear that as well as people going through the process. Because you always hear about the bitter stories, right? Like, oh, I didn't do this. They didn't do this for me. And a lot of times, it's because I think we talk about the focus on where you're at or where you're coming in, and like you had a plan. You came in, it's like I right. accomplished this. I'm going here. I got my art thing. And having, they did the same thing with you, I think, though. I, I remember know, I, you. I, I, that's why I'm you doing went away and I, how important. How how important yeah. it was, right? Like, cause that's how when you we went all away and trained. I know there was dudes that looked at you like, "Hold up, what you, what you doing?" Like, <laughs> but literally, I don't think you realize how much I soaked up game for you when you came back because you came back from training and you were like, "Oh, all right, this is how we train for college, but this is how they train you for the league." I didn't even know that you were supposed to alternate between the hot tub and the cold tub until you taught me because <laughs> what you did when you went away, like. 
Little stuff like that, you have no idea how far it goes. So what I'm saying is your boldness, whether you knew it or not, empowered me to be able to say, nah, like I'm going to do these things on my own terms because at whatever point I get hurt or I become a liability, y'all are going to discard me and not think twice about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, 100%. ain't no love lost here. This is an even exchange. My talent for your education, my services for your resources. Like, guys got to know that early going in, not on an arrogance perspective. You still, and that's why I wanted to preface it with, I found the hardest workers on the team. And I need you to back me on that because you remember when I was lapping defensive yep. backs and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, they yeah. was like, nah, we can't make him run with the lineman. He got to run with, the D-backs, he got to run with the A group because I'm lapping people. I'm going to make y'all, I'm going to embarrass y'all by how hard I work. But with That's me putting in this work, I expect a certain amount of respect for what I'm putting into this program. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's an even exchange. Right. And I mean, like you said, you maximize it there. That's one thing I always respect that I gave us uh, Penn State. It was like, yo, this is yours to maximize. We're going to get everything we need out of you. We're going to get the time. We're going to get it out of your body. We're going to get it out of all that, man. We'll take a quick break and do a LIG read one second. So the college landscape has vastly shifted with the transfer portal, NIL, and other changing dynamics. But without proper guidance, many athletes will fail to maximize their full potential. LIG's Blue Chip Academy provides recruiting, NIL, player development, and advising for families and athletes so they can make the best decision at this critical point in their career. So we have an individual coaching program that we take you through. Um, I'll be your guide throughout that program. But we start with an SPQ20 and go through understanding the background, your uh mental makeup and emotional makeup for playing the sport that you want to play. And then we kind of go through the whole process together and put it a blueprint to success for you. So you can make the best decision and <clears throat> do it for your college process and stepping into the next phase of your career. So that's there. We'll have the link, <clears throat> excuse me, have the link in the bio below. You guys tap in and, and call for a consult and understand where you're at and where we can help and fill those gaps for you. So we're going to jump back into the blueprint to success with Aaron Maven. So Maeve, you get, so you finally get, you get drafted, right? 11th overall is, I mean, we talk about that not being the, it's, it's at, at that point, it's the pinnacle. Take me through how you feel about like what you've accomplished at that point. Man, at that point I was, I was head over heels because regardless of anything after that, at that point, your life changes and your family's life changes. Like the trajectory of your family itself changes. You know what I'm saying? Like you grow up struggling and, and trying to make ends meet and figuring out how to rob Peter to pay Paul. And then you get to a point where you can, I walked up to my father and I said, yo, Take whatever time you need to do it, but quit that job. You know what I'm saying? Like, retire. Let me know where you want your house. You know what I mean? Like, let me know yeah. what you, how big you want it to be, what it needs to, like, like, create the house that you want to live the rest of your life in and let me know what it takes. No, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, that's where I was at at that point, you know? And then my siblings, you know, they were right there with me. So it was like I was able to look at my parents and say, you don't got to worry about how they going to go to school, how they're going to, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to take care of that. You know what I mean? Like, like that right there, like that was everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, that was a life changing moment right there. 
all the deposits coming in so we can make that that huge withdrawal, right? That's what that that first monetization point before in football was like, yo, you make it to the league. Or now we're teaching like, well, that monetization point is college because that scholarship and the education that exactly. comes with it, you can, you know, if you do, do it right, things with it. If you do it right, you especially do it right. with NIL and all. If you do it right, if you work that thing. So when you're getting to the NFL. How did, I mean, how was the on-field versus off-the-field life for you? Like, I mean, you always were focused on what you wanted to do. But we know in the NFL, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's cutthroat, top 1%, and having outside passions and hobbies. On-field was tough, man. Coming right. in, coming in, it was it was tough because um, I was in a bad position, man. I don't feel bad saying it now. Like, I think anybody that looks back on the situation now can understand how messed up it was for me because – I was in a position that was supposed to be so easy, right? <clears throat> the team that drafted me had the exact same pick the year before. They had the number 11 pick two years in a row. One year they selected uh, Leotis McKelvin. The next year they selected me, right, with the 11th overall pick. Um, I was the last college class, I believe, to just be out here just like, you know, um, um, sink or swim with it until the slotting of the 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 contracts came into play gotcha. the year after. So um every you team Bradford, really, you were saying Bradford's year, right? Say it again. Sam Bradford was your first was the first Sam pick overall. I can't say that it was it who Sam, was the first Sam year? It might have been I, I, what, was I, don't, the, I don't even remember yeah, now. It, was last year. it doesn't matter. But, cool, my bad. But the 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 fact of the matter was it was we knew that it was going to be the last year that that guys got a chance to do their contracts. But gotcha. at the end of the day, we also knew that all of these contracts every year are slotted. The only guys that end up holding out are the guys that try to push for more. Mm-hmm. Now, I just wager anybody that saw my story during my time and thought I was some selfish guy to go back and look at what I made. And like I didn't set the market with anything. Nothing about my contract was difficult right but i ended up having to hold out because until almost three quarters of the way through training camp they were offering me less money than they offered leotis mckelvin the year before in the exact same spot you know so i came into a situation where the whole fan play fan base already looked at me as greedy and you know some hot-headed kid that was self-centered this that and the third and i had to I had to fight against that narrative just to kind of like prove myself. And then like, you know, I get on the field during the preseason. I've already been holding out. But as soon as I get on the field, sack Ben Roethlisberger, sack Matthew Stafford, sack like every single time I get on the field, I'm getting sacks. Right. right? right, right. So there was still a buzz. Like it was like, all right, like he held out, but it looked like he's going to be that guy. And then the first week that we, uh, the, my first game uh, that we played uh, is against Tom Brady. And um, it's up in Foxborough. And I'm one of, like, the featured pass rushers for this game, right? Okay. And in my mind, I'm like, all right, this is my awakening. And in that game, long story short, I was one of the – I was pro- I had, like, the most pressures out of anybody on the D-line. Like, I played well. But – Towards the end of the game, there's a play where they're driving on us, and I got a chance to end the drive. Like, I come 
not unblocked, but I beat my, you already know I beat my guy with that little dip. And Tom is sitting right there. And I'm going, I'm going to take his head off. And at the last second, he feels me. And he ducks and pivots. And I go right over top of his head. And he ends up, you know what I mean? Uh 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 completing the touchdown, the touchdown uh uh in the drive or whatever. And after that game, I can remember, you know, hearing stories about a couple of the vets on the team, like going and kind of like, you know, making their case for like, yo, like, how, how he held out, he did this, that, and third. Like, how you going? Long story short, from that point on in Buffalo, for me, it was just contentious. Like, with the guys that I was playing with or trying to, you know what I mean, uh, compete with on the defensive line, the coaching staff, like, the coach that drafted me was fired a few games into the season. He was replaced by somebody that did not want me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like all that type of stuff. So long story short, like, and I was really questioning whether I really loved this game enough to keep playing during like that second year in Buffalo, you know, and it wasn't until I got to New York that I really realized that I did still love this game and that like, you know, I got a little bit of validation of like, yo, you are the player that everybody has been saying all of these things about. Just you haven't been given the opportunity yet, you know. Oh, so that's that something that redemption allowed me. <laughs> that redemption in the NFL doesn't always come, right? Because I always tell yeah. people, I mean, you're, there's a level that you have to get to to get to the NFL. But how long people stay, man? I mean, one, two years, whatever. But it's there's a luck based thing to it, based on. What organization you go to, the type of support they put around you, if there's yeah. stability with the stability with the head coach. If like, the coach that once you get gets fired, bro, my coach got another fired. Guy that comes in that my first year, like, yeah, like gets fired. I was on my third head coach by the second, uh, my second year in the league. You know what I mean? Coming exactly. off a toe injury and all that stuff, whatever that case may be, but it's just different slots. And like you said, I mean, beefing with the coaches and beefing with players, that seems like it would be like that would kind of weigh on you mentally, like and emotionally. Did it? Yeah. Like, those are the guys, like, with the players was the thing that mattered to me because it was like, that's tough. You remember, you remember what it was like at Penn State, man. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, it's a Big Ten school. We in the middle of, you know, central Pennsylvania, all that type of stuff. But, like, yo, we had some dogs on that team that was from where we from. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it was a culture there that was us. You feel what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. when I got to Buffalo, it wasn't that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, I ain't going to get into too many specifics, but it just, it wasn't that. I was the other guy again. So being that in an environment like that, when you don't even really have anybody that's nurturing you, Uh it's like, yo, you like, very quickly, you're like, yo, I think I'm good on this. But like... I That's still real, love the NFL this. Is stressful, you know what I'm saying? You gotta it's like, on the field. It's like being the owner. It's a, it's being the owner had beef, yo. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, God rest yeah. his soul and all that kind of stuff. But, yo, like, he walked into a room one day and just said, "Oh, this the blank that just took all my money." Uh-huh. And I said, "Yo, who is who the f is this dude talking to?" Like, I'm sitting there looking around at other people in the organization in the room, like. Do you think I'm not going to dress with this guy just said? You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, like, I don't know. Nah, you heard him say nah, that? Nah. Exactly. You, you, heard, you heard him talk about you when he came in? 
Locker room. No, I watched it. I seen it come out of his mouth. And then I'm <sighs> looking to his handlers, you know, because we played for Joe, right? Right. We played right. for an older guy that, you know, yeah. had some moments. Like, Joe definitely had some moments with us that I'm not going to get too in deep to it with because he ain't never really came at me like that in public. He was at right. least smart enough to know, like, yo, like, don't do this. <laughs> but I'm sitting there like, yo, like, y'all really, y'all think I'm just supposed to be all right with this? Nah, man. Like, I wasn't that guy. You know what I'm saying? And and I wasn't just going to become that guy because I was so afraid of life on the other side of football. You know what I'm saying? My thing is, 100%. you know. That's, you're never going to have to worry quick, about that's me. Po- real quick, but that's powerful that you said that because I think that level of having leverage is what we talk about when you go to college and you have your art passion, you have your education, you have all these different things. It does prepare you to perform better on the field. That's kind of what I always try to get yeah, people to understand. It's absolutely. like if your stuff is situated on the outside, it, it's, a, it's a false premise to say, like, I'm just going to focus on this because when you start getting higher, higher in the sports ecosystem – like the talent gets shifted and it, there's other things. And like, you look for the people that can play free. So I remember getting to the league and right. you'll see guys, they might not train with the team. They have their own regimen. You're like, hold up. I got to be here. They're like having this specialized, you know, way of approaching the game. But you know, it's, 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 it's real, it's real wild to see that piece kind of come to fruition. But yeah. Yeah. No, that's tight. Absolutely. I played with a lot of guys, man, that, that marched to the beat. Like, even when I was in Buffalo, I was on the team with not just Puzz, but T.O., yeah. Marshawn Lynch, Ryan Fitzpatrick, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, Roscoe Parrish. Like, I could go on and on. Like, there was some characters on that team, and there was some talented players on that team. But True. in the NFL, everything is a trickle down. I'm going to be honest with you. I done seen many a talented team that were trash, mm-hmm. not because of personnel, but because of coaching staff, ownership, you know what I'm saying? Like, like different stuff, man. if you're not playing focus, your best like, players, you you're not going to be the best like, team. If you're not playing the best scheme for what you are built to do, you're not going to be the best team. If you, and we came, we were at, we were on a team at the time and that was a historically bad team. Like I think we almost went 0-16 that year. Like, and that was my rookie year. You know what yeah, I mean? That, like, that, I'm, that, I mean, that, that, like, That'll set you up. That'll set you up bad in NFL yeah, you know, like, on a sixteen team. Nobody want to touch that. Like for real, for real. Because even like, like no to finish my point of what I was saying. Yeah, even to finish my point of what I was saying, like like having that leverage outside of the game. Because you get to the league, it's really a, like who can stay the calmest the most and have fun playing the game. Who can maintain yeah. that childlike yeah. attitude playing the game? And typically, it's the people that have. A lot of dough, pay, sign that second contract, or you get the cast yeah. that obviously just blank out on football. And you're like, oh, that's a little special. And they're just, or just people that have some type of leverage outside of the game where, like, they're really still enjoying the game. Because you'll see or it. Or the other coach fosters so, an environment where that kind that of be. open. Yeah, like, like, cause it's like, I played for Rex Ryan. Like, I know that that's something that he does. Like I've heard that Andy Reid is similar in the way you see it in the, you see it in the results. Even it's like the individual approach to different things. Nick Saban has been been caught preaching about the individual approach on the athlete, because that makes everyone uh, like makes the team better because you just kind of find which one ticks. We talk about coaches philosophies, right? Whereas X's and O's guys versus Jimmy's and Joe's guys. And, Typically, the Jimmy's and Joe's got to have understanding because they look at Aaron Maben this way. They look at Justin King this way. And I'm going to make 
this environment for him is the best that he can. I'll make this environment for him and not just, oh, my way is like this and everybody has to fit in. And if you don't, it's got to be. Can I go can I go back to one of your previous questions real quick, bro? For sure. Go for it. You asked me about my advice to young guys and something that I left out is look at how your position coach coaches. You know what I'm saying? Like, look at how he talks to his guys. Look at how he affirms or uplifts his guys as a fur, as opposed to tearing them down. And if he does tear them down, look at him. Really watch and see if he ever goes back to build them back up. Because if you don't think that you can be coached by this guy, it's not always a question of how coachable you are, right? We have to be coachable, right? You have to be able to, if you are coaching with, a, a coach that likes to MF his players, right? Yeah. You got to be able to deal with that guy in the moment. But a player like me is still going to come to him and be like, yo, check this out. This way that you talked to me earlier, talk to the other guys like that, but I don't need all that. Just tell me that I'm doing wrong and we good. You know what I'm saying? Back, like, we, used like, to, we used to go back and forth with coaches at Penn State. I remember. I think we had exactly, like a chippy, we had that, a chippy but, group. Like, Cass was always but, like... <laughs> but, but at the end of the day... If Coach Jay, because of the things that I said to him in meetings, wanted to keep me off the field, he could have done that to his own detriment. You right, feel what right, I'm right. saying? Yeah. And certain coaches will do that. They'll have a talented player that they just want to prove that you're below, you're beneath me. And they'll spend a couple years going to war with a player in the film room where, like, yo, we could actually be maximizing on this guy's potential. And, but you, but sometimes it's ego, and then there's another piece. Been working on the other side. You mean a lot of times these coaches, when they get there, they want to try to tell the players, like, man, one thing you want to do before making plays is earn a coach's trust. Because like when they get in that film room yeah. and players aren't where the X is supposed to be or the O is supposed to be, bro, I don't know you. You play man, how mad you get yeah, when the nah, player nah, nah, doesn't run nah. the yeah. right route, and you just can't really fix it. And then you start getting these guys, and that's what kind of happens when you get a coach. It happens with coaches that come up through the ranks, typically that have coached like D3 moving up all the way. And it's just like, that is the main thing. Cause like, Oh, if you don't do it this way, it doesn't work. But guys that coach talent, sometimes you have that understanding of, Oh, we got to put this guy in a different position. Oh, we got to coach no, this you actually, differently. You actually just brought up something that I like, I, I overlooked that in my analysis too, because one thing that I will be honest and say is that, especially in my relationship with coach Jay, that was part of our, like me and, Yo, you were uh so Josh was just over my house a couple of days ago, right? Josh okay, Game. Yep. Okay. So you Come already know, like, he was another guy that played with us, played my same position, and was older than me. And he honestly was instrumental, just like Blue was in my in in my transition into the college game and into the NFL, actually, because he was the guy that taught me once we got to Penn State how to be a college player. Got you know it. what I mean? Like he was the most senior guy on our defensive line you know, that that took me under his wing and showed me what I was supposed to do. And even once I got on the field, it would be certain times where he knew my responsibility was to drop or to to go inside and do. But he knew, yo, if I have a straight rush, it's a sack. So he would just tell me, yo, do your thing, yo. I'll make you right. Oh you know what I'm saying? Like, and Coach Jay used to hate, used to hate when we did that. But he recognized that me and him had that relationship, mm-hmm. right? Level so trust, and they start he, when I got to the sideline, he would say something to me and him, but he would also acknowledge, like, if y'all see something, 
and y'all want to take advantage of it, just make each other right. You know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't have to do that as a coach. And that opened up us to really, like, play with reckless, reckless abandon because we actually communicated and we knew what one another was doing. And that made both that made the defense as a whole better. That's the trust factor in that coach relationship with the player and being able to make make you guys feel like you can run and play with reckless abandonment because you see guys play like, you know, like, oh, the coach said this, play like robots, I got to do this, can't do that. And, and the proof is yeah, in the play. And you're, and, you're, and you're completely right. There are some coaches, like, if you make the play, it's like, bro, come sit down because you're not listening to what I said. And, and I'm not right. saying no, don't listen to coach because like, I always say if you do something that coach doesn't say, you better make the play because – but to his, but to his credit, Coach Jay would say that, though. He would be oh. like, yo, under no circumstances go inside in, on, on, this, on this scheme. But if you do go inside, you better make the play. You better like, make and the I was play. Like, I was like, word? I was the one player. Everybody in the room heard the first part of that. But I was the one player that heard the last part. Like, if you do go off board. Make sure you make the play. And there were plenty of times my last year, or not even my last year, but my first my first year getting on the field, he realized what it was going to be with me. He was like, because if I saw something, right, if my responsibility was something else, I would try to communicate it to the closest person to me what I saw, but I didn't want to give it away to the other team. So there were several times where I just, I got an inside stunt and I just take the straight rush because it's a sack. Right, right. And I right. get the sack, but as soon as I come to the sideline, Coach Jay sitting there like, we don't even have that play. And it's like, <laughs> I know, man. Like, but you see, play. I saw what I saw, right? Hey, man, that kind of messed me up in recruiting because that's how Cass played when we were there. You, Jerry, all you guys, Navarro. Cass was just making plays, dog. I used to yeah. say I wasn't the most disciplined corner for real. I was just like, man, jump something. <laughs> we said mm-hmm. in cover three, man, jump something. Maybe well, rush we were one like, of those opportunistic <laughs> bees that knew like, that in those scenarios, that's when players make plays. Man, and that's, that's why I'm stuff. so – but the thing about it is, and that's a, I'm glad you brought that point up because when you look at my class specifically, like the Monstars, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> but no, nah, real talk. Like, I was, I've, I've named y'all the Monstars. It holds up. When you look at Jared, when you look at myself, when you look at Navarro, when you look at Phil, when you look at all of the people that really like, even AJ, AJ asked, Got on a team and just decided, nah, like, um, nah, this just, you know what I'm saying? Like, we we were a class full of people that went against the grain. Chris Bell, like, yo, like, mad, like, loose cannon, but, like, very, very calculated individuals, though. Like, like we had a bunch of, like, loose cannons, like, like, hotheads, all that. But, like, as we started to get older we grew into ourselves and we still were very like counterculture, like not just going to go along with the flow, but going to like trailblaze be, our be own the, path. Be the flow. Don't go with the flow. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Be the flow. I, 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 and I love that. the fact that I can look back on my college experience, not even my college experience. I still love talking to Jared. I still love, you know what I mean? Being a catch up with, being able to catch up with Josh Navarro, like all mm. of those, like we had, so much talent, but guys were really comfortable in themselves as people. That's real. And knew I think that, that's 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 pretty real about I think that was unique about our guys that were at Penn I mean Penn State in general. I think that was kind of cool. It was like incubated where guys had to 
figure out yourself because we had certain rules that, all right, we all got to shave this. We all got to do this. Right. But in right. that, we were always finding our own thing. And like, look, I'm all right, we got to do this, but I'm this is me right here. Like, y'all know this is how yeah. it, and it kind of matriculated as you see. You could be fighting with your brother one minute <laughs> and the next minute y'all going, like, I will never forget me and me and Drew, me and Andrew Quarles got into a fight <laughs> at uh, dinner one day over some chicken wings. You didn't even mention Andrew Corliss in the Monstar Squad, but like he's a part of that too. That's interesting. Exactly. That's, that's, deep, that's, that's what I'm saying. Class. Like, but that was our class. We spent our whole time at school fighting each other, like balling, like making hella plays, like and do like doing things unconventionally. Like we would literally leave practice and get into fights on the way to dinner, and by the time dinner was over, we would be going out together. Like. But these fights would not even be like it would be people thought we were trying to kill each other. Like it would be like, yo, like this is I remember one time after me and Drew's fight, Joe, Joe came in, came, came into the football building late, late that night, that same night, and called us both to the football building to like come holler at him in the locker room and like (laughs) tell him about how we how we just got into this spread. And like it was just so funny because he really looked at us like like you look at your kids, like yo, really? I really had to come here in the middle of my night, like for this. You know, I don't like I don't just be coming out of my house. Like, are y'all good? Like, and we like, yeah, like that was like an hour ago. Like, we, <laughs> I still got stitches in my nose. He still got he still got stitches in him. But like, yeah, that was like an hour ago. We good. Yeah. Like, I mean, so I mean, that, I mean, those Penn State days. I, I remember us t- talking about that class. And you guys, I mean, you guys were edgy, right? You got everything you're saying is a complete fact. It's not a, it's no cap. It's not looking back. Like you guys had a lot of first round picks. You guys had a lot of NFL years in that class, and you guys walked on the edge. To be completely honest, like, and that was that kind of shifted. I mean, everything at Penn State, we came off that good year, but that set them up for the next, you know, four or five years. When did you know you were going to retire? Now that you're, now that you're, now that you're. Uh recounting what I just said like that. I don't want to leave that as the message to the young cats that that's essentially the biggest thing, the biggest thing that I think makes this something that we can go back on and look at in a good light is that we really, we all really grew up during this process. Yes. You know what I'm saying? By the time we left school, we weren't still the same type. It was an iron sharpener, iron type of situation. I guess what I was saying, like walking that edge, like, it's a play in the least sports. Still, like, it is still a level walk walking the edge, edge, but we learned yeah, like, during our college time how to walk the edge because we had so like, many guys that yeah, weren't. We can't. We, we can't. We can't. Who didn't, we can't wasn't able to finish. The, yeah, well, we can't negate yeah, the like, fact we, that, like, because of those decisions that we made, not all of us were able to finish at Penn State. So no, we you're absolutely right. That, like, we you're couldn't absolutely keep right. doing it that way and get where we wanted to go. I wanted to make nah. sure I like. Circle That's, back and address that. Like, That's we real. had to evolve that, and grow. That is real. And all you guys went to the NFL is all I'm saying. Because, like, he still yeah. left and he went to the NFL. Bank left, still went to the NFL. Right. So, all I'm talking right. about from a talent acquisition and a recruiting standpoint, he's <laughs> looking at talent. Like, so, y'all, yeah. I mean, following the rules as a coach, dog, I'm like, oh, man, that was just a lot of talent. Be- yeah, in that class. Right. But no, that's real though. That's 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 great to bring that back in. It was because they were all great guys, right? Everybody went off to do the things and just that maturation process. And when you talk about how important college is, I think you're highlighting that piece. Like everyone was kind of walking like this, and then kind of grew together. We became men, we became men during college. Like, we were boys. We were boys that ended up, 
you know, after high school, the thing about it is, especially when you get to this level of talent, right? Everybody was the man back at their high school. Everybody was the man in their state, in the country. You know what I'm saying? Like we all were that guy. So getting in that space with a bunch of other like alpha male personalities, you're going to have that. You're going to have that um aggression boil over into something else you're gonna like but the the key is not to celebrate those moments like the fights and the 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 hot-headedness and all of that it's to celebrate the evolution the point that we all started to understand that like yo my success is your success like so even if we going against each other every day it's an iron sharpens iron mentality i want your best and i want to be able to fight you on the field or in the locker room right now, and me and you go out together the night, the same night, because we know that we got to be able to put this to the side and know that we're both individually working towards something in our own personal careers. But as a team, we're working towards a collective goal that we need both of us to be like fully present for. Like, yeah. and I think that like, for better or worse, I think that we really went through that process really heavily like during our time in school like and i think that like i'm really grateful for the way a lot of those relationships were cultivated because those are still my guys to this day you know what i mean jared is still my guy to this day varo like you know uh 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 aj bonnie you know ollie you know what i'm saying like like all of my guys you know drew like all of these people like we all were able to, Evan, you know, we all were able to reach the pinnacle and we're able to look back on that time and remember the times together that helped to shape and mold us into who we are today. Nah, that's real. So, like, we got to attack, transition out of the game. Obviously, I mean, did a lot, right? Do the art, you do everything that we talk about from writing books, art, teaching classes. Uh, on art and the culture, man. You even had curriculum picked up at Penn State, doing art shows at museums, and different things of that nature. We'll talk about your latest book a little bit. We can finish up on this, Getting on Code. What inspired you to write yes, that? Sir. Um, The state of where society and culture is right now, specifically in communities like mine here in Baltimore, Um. You know, when you look at cities like, you know, Baltimore, Chicago, Philadelphia, Detroit, um, Oakland, um, they are kind of just all used as regurgitated talking points of, you know, conservative media, you know, right wing media, you know, whatever you want to call it. But everybody wants to talk about like the mayhem, essentially, within these communities, but nobody really talks about how it got this way. You know what I mean? Like what the the systemic issues and the cultural issues uh have been and not even just issues but but organize organize and orchestrated campaigns to make sure that you know these cities are in the state that they're in in specific areas you know um understanding that from a young age growing up in baltimore and then once i got away in school you know majoring um in uh, integrative arts and journalism, but doing it through a way that like I was learning about the history, not just of this country, but in the places that I come from mm-hmm. that made it what they, what it is, you know, um, 
starting to get that understanding, I understood that like I wanted to use my career during football and afterwards to um, take control of that narrative and help to steer it towards something better. You know what I mean? So long story short, when I left school and got drafted, I came back home to the city of Baltimore. I never bought a primary residence in any city that I played in. Um, I always had my home base here. And, you know, from the second that uh, I left school uh, and started my foundation, I've been here in the trenches in the school system, in our most marginalized communities, making sure that, you know, I advocate for the people that are living in these spaces you know, that uh, largely resemble the, the the background that I grew up in, you know, and making sure that not just uh, the social issues get advocated, but um, the actual school system that is educating our kids that had me feeling like there was something wrong with me as a younger kid trying to learn, understanding that those schools aren't equipped to properly educate our kids and trying to find a way to close that gap as far as equity and resources. And um, that's where my curriculum came from. You know, this whole idea of like our school, our schools and our students aren't being taught in a way that they best process knowledge and information. You know what I'm saying? Not enough of the cultural components of how they grow up are actually integrated into their educational system and figuring that, you know, me as a product of that system, I could help to create some of those resources. Um, you know, especially in the arts and uh, the social studies uh, areas, um, you know, I've I've created some some educational resources that um, have become pretty integral here in the city of Baltimore and nationally. And, um, you know, the goal is just really to keep expanding upon that and the platform um, artistically and creatively that I use to um, take the marginalized stories that take place in our communities and actually put them in a larger stage and allow people to understand um, the cause and effect of how our communities get to be how they are. And in an effort to actually see them transform for the better, creating the solutions that, you know, can be utilized to actually um, um, serve as a, a, a resource for our kids that are growing up in spaces like that. Man, that is amazing and perfect. Like, I appreciate you for sharing that with us. And you guys make sure you check out the Getting On Code uh, book from maybe I'll have the link at the in the bio here. So what's that? What's the end goal uh, for everything that you got going on? What do you want to see? Where's Maven in ten years? Not the end uh, goal, ten years. So yeah, yeah, right. So um, right now I've just uh, myself and another former NFL player, Tory Smith, who went to the University of Maryland, played for the Baltimore Ravens. We've uh, uh, reopened a community center a recreational center here in Baltimore city that um, was previously closed for the last uh, 16 or 17 years. And um, that recreational center is actually in the neighborhood that I grew up in. So, you know, in terms of like, what would a young Aaron Maven have needed, you know, this recreational center where we're teaching kids, you know, to read and write proficiently, uh, proficiently where we have, free tutoring and educational resources for them several days a week where we're connecting with the elders and making sure that they have a communicational vantage point with our youth. You know, this is the type of facility that would have made me not having to go out to the county to get a high school education necessary. You know what I mean? Like, like this is the type of, of resource that 
actually, you know, edifies the the lived experiences of of the kids that grew up in in, in a scenario like I did. Um, so we opened this rec center um, a couple years back, and we've just gotten um, a significant investment of funds and resources from both uh, Under Armour and the Baltimore Ravens after watching all of the work that we've done over this first year and, and, and some change. And we're actually going to be expanding our campus now uh, to be able to be uh, even more encompassing and, and, and serve even more people. So long story short, you know, by the time we get done, we get done with this expansion, you know, we'll have a building that's comparable to the size of most school buildings. And then wow. if you know me, you can kind of <clears throat> connect the dots to where that's headed after that. Most definitely, man. Kudos and congrats to you and Tori, man. That's that's amazing stuff there, man. Just taking your time and just your different vantage points from the whole process, your your passions uh, from writing, reading, education, and just your experience from going to different schools, man. I had that same experience inner city schools in Pittsburgh, moving out to the suburbs and having that experience and knowing how to capitalize and recognizing like the biggest difference or the, the greatest difference in the schools was the level of being able to focus and focus and resources, right? Like, it's like, oh, yeah. no distractions are giving me all this. It's, it's just like, oh, this is kind of easy. You know what I mean? And and not even that. Our just, kids just, are their best when we invest in them. That's it. That's and it. The right? fact just of the matter is our, our society wants to act like it's their fault that they're not being educated. It's their fault that they're not prepared for the world that is is preparing to receive them. No, that's our fault as a society, as parents, as educators, as a community. And we yes. got to take responsibility in that if we want to see it change. A hundred percent. It's so important that you recognize that going through the process as a, <clears throat> as a young man going through the process, young black man going through the process, playing in college, going to the NFL and going through that whole thing on the field and then transitioning out and then bringing it back to the inner city of Baltimore and putting those those structures in place to have those guys, have the young girls and, and boys have the acceleration plan and have their, you know, horizons opened up and with the right, with the right things in place and having things in the right perspective. So like maybe said, man, have a plan and attack it as we go through this process and understand that having leverage with education, having leverage with outside passions is extremely important and know what you bring, what you're bringing to the table. He made it very clear that he understood that it was a business opportunity when he got to college or when he was getting a scholarship offer that he had something to provide to the school and the school has something to provide to him and you have to get your you have to maximize this process in that way so at the end of the day and it's not that school's job to maximize it for you either it is so for not all that of y'all that are actually coming into this that want to see something for yourselves if you want to have your own business you need to come in with a plan you need to come in with an Preach. idea or a blueprint of what this business needs to be and your major needs to be constructed around making that plan solid and 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 uh, uh, scalable in whatever environment is that you want to see this thing operate. Like when you talk about, when I say a plan, I feel like people say that all the time and there's no clarity given. Like right. a plan is exactly that. It's multi-layered. We're talking blueprints. We're talking plans. We're talking research. We're talking statistics. Like Tactical how many steps, people like are where, Like point yeah. A, point B. Like then you go here. Then right. you do this. This is what I need to do. I need to talk to this person. Then follow up. And then I need to do that in a couple months. And I just understanding that that is your, like you said, that is your responsibility. And there's like places right. that can have that resource. But once you understand what you want to do, you can find where the resource fits and where those places can yeah. accelerate. Your once whole, you value yourself, your whole career, now, you know what I mean? You can value now other people can value. If I value my future and I value my plan, 
Even Myron Rose said this. He said Florida State was one of the only schools that came to him and said, all right, you want to be a Rose Scholar. This is how we feel like you can do it here. Right. That would have made my decision easy, too. No. If I know that this is a goal of mine, don't tell me how this goal is unrealistic. Tell me how you're going to put me in a position to chase this, and it's going to be up to me whether or not I accomplish it. 150% 150% everyone you guys like and subscribe to the, this video and to the YouTube channel check out the pod and the podcast as well remember the football and sports business masterclass make sure you have your acceleration blueprint because at the end of the day the professional sports is is a launching point and having that reverse engineer plan like Maven said start at the end and working all the way back and have details so when you're going through the process create that leverage for yourself and understanding what your uh, your capitalizing points are throughout this process and make sure you guys download the recruiting checklist so you're making sure you're evaluating the right points through this whole ecosystem Maven we really appreciate you jumping on man dropping much knowledge much passion and everything and giving all the games to our listeners about how to approach this process and how to understand to do it with some confidence and having some backing in what, you're, what you got going on because that is a part of it. That's why I wanted to highlight when he was talking about his group there and just they all had this thing of like they were there to accomplish something. You know what I mean? And just that's what it takes to survive because like everyone that he talked about, I mean, he probably named 10 guys and they all went to the NFL. So like this is, that is a part of the process, but you can go to NFL and get ready to show at a museum, as in an art museum in a couple of weeks. So shout out to Maven on those different things and having a well-rounded thing and check out it and go get uh, getting on code. Again, that link will be at the bottom and Maven, appreciate you fam. I appreciate you, my brother, man. I'm so proud of where the the channel is going and all the wonderful conversations that you're having, man. If I was a young recruit, this is everything that I would have been able to to need to build that plan that I was discussing, man. So definitely keep this stuff up, man. Like, however I can help, just let me know going forward. And I wish you the best, my brother. Man, respect, man. Appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG Sports Group put together a Blue Chip Recruiting Checklist. Download your checklist at LIGsports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops and Recruiting YouTube channel, where we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want to help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash Blue Chip Academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening and remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit.